We'll be reading this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whosoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you, to, for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. You may be seated. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. As you came in this morning, you would have all uh, hopefully gotten a bulletin. In that bulletin is uh, some sermon notes. I, I've never done this, but take those sermon notes out. I want to ask a question at the beginning of this sermon, and I'm going to come back to that question at the end of the sermon. Uh, the question is this. Um, we'll take a moment uh, before I begin teaching for you to answer the question, uh, what is the church? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. What is the church? So just take a moment to answer that question. What is the church? We'll come back, and my hope is uh, either it's going to be the same, or you will have heard the gospel, the truth of God, and it will uh, be changed the way you answer that question. What is the church? Now you've taken time to answer that question and written it down. Uh, let's begin to read the text and teach the text about what does God say about his church. What does Peter have to say that God's revealed to him about his church? We'll look at uh, the main uh, key verse to this passage is found in chapter 2, verse 5. He says this, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Uh, that spiritual house means the church. So what does it mean for us that God is building in us uh, the church? What does that look like? My great fear is that oftentimes we say things like this, well, I'm going to the church. Or there's things that have to be done at the church. And what has happened is over time, the church has been relegated to the four walls of this place. And we're going to see that today that that is not what the church is all about. I've been praying about this. I have great fear to share this this morning. Um, but 
I left here Wednesday night deeply saddened from our business meeting. And I walked from my, uh, this front door to my front door, and over the last uh, 72 hours or so, I've just been pondering that business meeting. And the sad part for me in that business meeting, the thing that we spent the majority of the time talking about was some lights that needed to go up that we spent the majority of our time talking about this building and our focus became about a building rather than about what God calls us to be, the ecclesia, the church. And my hope is that out of this morning that we would all as God's people see that the church of Jesus Christ is way more than brick and mortar. You heard that from Miss Patty this morning and from Jerry this morning. Now, Now don't get me wrong, I know there has to be things that are done to this building. I understand that. There has to be upkeep to this building. But my fear is that the upkeep of the building will take us away from what this building was put here to begin with for the first place. And it was for one purpose and one purpose only as I've talked to many of you and have looked at the history of this church. It's the mission of this church from the very beginning is to know God and to make Him known. That's not something new because I've come in the last year and a half. That's been the history of this church. And the church is not a building. Hear me loud and clear. The church is not a building. How do I know that? Because we have brothers and sisters all over the world, we just heard from one, that doesn't meet in a building and still has church. Amen? And so this morning we're going to look at this text and see what does God have to say about the church. Two things that we'll look at through these several verses. First, God is building his church. I hope you will leave today super encouraged that God is still at work in building his church to redeem lost people. And then the second thing we'll look at is, then what is my role as the church? What is your role as the church? And what is our role as the church? If you've been with us as we studied this passage, this book, First Peter, it's all about this idea that God is going to use His grace to cover our disgrace, and He's been looking at it mostly in chapter 1 in an individual setting. And now in the last two um, messages, He begins to shift His teaching more to the corporate body of the church. And so He says to us out the gate, here's how God is building his church, he talked about it in uh, the last two verses. He's going to talk a lot about it extensively here. That God is building his church through our salvation. Remember, he started that in chapter 1, verse 1. That God chose the elect. He called people from dark to light. We'll see that again in this passage. To build his church. And so the very first words that Peter shares with us. We'll come back to this at the end. But he says these words, as you come to him. My question to you, my question to myself as I was studying this week is, how am I coming to God? How am I coming to him? You see that word, that phrase, coming to him, means this. And Peter goes back to Psalm chapter 34. We looked at Psalm chapter 34 last week. There's this, the psalmist is writing about his intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And so he says again, as you come to him, that phrase means this, an ultimate abiding personal relationship or fellowship. A constant coming to God 
with there being an intent of something that will happen. And so my question to me before I get into that, the rest of the passage is, when I come to God, do I have an eager expectation that God will do something? When we come to the church this morning, do we all have an eager expectation that God will do something in the next hour and 15 minute, minutes of our lives? Or do we come because we've always come? Or do you and I wake up every Sunday and put our two feet on the ground and have an expectation, man, God, you are going to do something because I'm about to meet with your people and your church. How do I come to God this morning? How did you come this morning to church? Because that plays out in the rest of this passage. And then he goes on to say, this is how God is building his church. He says, as you come to him, who are we coming to? A living stone, rejected by man, in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up at the spiritual house to be holy priest, to a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scriptures, behold, I, God, am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so what Peter is telling us, hey, the church doesn't start with you. The church doesn't start with me. The church is being built on the person of God the Father through Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? Who are we coming to? Who is the church being built on. How is God building his church? Four things that we see. The first thing that we see, that God, through Christ Jesus, is building his church. How is God building his church? Underline your Bibles, a living stone. It starts that God the Father has, we'll get this in a minute, has chosen Jesus Christ, his son, the living stone. Thank God we come through God, to Jesus, who is alive and well today. Amen? You, you think about that. If, if we were coming to a church that was God had built on something dead, there'd be no life for any of us in this place. It starts because we have a living Savior. A living Savior. Amen? That's what separates us as Christians from every other, denom every other religion in the world. You think about it. Gandhi, dead. Muhammad, Muslim, dead. Buddha, dead. Pope John Paul II, dead. If we look at the landscape of religions, every leader in every major uh, religion is dead. And so what separates us as God's church, is that we come to a living stone. Because without him being alive and well today, you and I would still be dead as doornails. Remember what he said, I've called you from death to life. Well, it's because he has the life that he breathes into us the same way that he did to our forefather, Adam. 
Remember, all that Adam was was a lump of clay laying on the ground. And what does it say in Genesis chapter 1? That God breathed life into the dead man. And therefore, now that dead man is alive. We see that again in this passage. And so the first thing that we see is that we come and God is building his church on a living Savior. I could stop there and that could be all that we need to hear this morning. Here's the next thing that he says. The first thing, he's building his church on a living stone. The next thing he says is this in chapter 2, verse 4. But in the sight of God, chosen. Highlight that in your Bible. That, that, that word is an amazing word here in the text. That God, throughout all of creation, chose a plan to redeem us. And Jesus was the chosen plan. You, you see, in that moment in the garden, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, when Adam and Eve fell from God and broke relationship with God, God in that moment did not begin to scramble for plan B because plan A was broken. You see, at that, the moment of all of creation, it says that God had a plan, that God chose Jesus his son, to redeem us because he was going to be the living stone to give us life. And so we have God building his church on a living stone that was uniquely chosen by him. That this was God's plan to build his church. God had a plan, a chosen plan. It's in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his son. The next thing that we see is this. It's not only is he a living stone, not only is he, uh, not, not only is he the living stone, the chosen stone, but he's the precious stone. I like that in your Bible. That word precious means to be rare, or it has great value. Think about God the Father choosing his son the most precious thing to him. You see, that word precious means costly. You see, God the Father sent a costly gift for us, a gift that has no price tag on it. Do we realize this? I think it's so ingrained in us. Like, yeah, God sent his son, Jesus, Jesus redeemed us, Jesus set us free, and now we have eternal life. But the implications of who Jesus is, is astounding. That God the Father sent his only begotten son for us who was not going to hold it as precious. We, we see that when we look at Jesus talking about the tenants. Remember that parable. That, that the, the master says, hey, um, I've got this property, I've got this thing, I'm going to uh, take care of it, and I'm going to send these people to take care of it, and then they continue to kill off this person. He says, well, I'm going to send the most precious thing I have, my son, and they kill him too. You see, Jesus Christ, as John read in Isaiah chapter 53 this morning, he is a precious gift from God the Father, who we esteemed him not. We did not look at this precious gift and think, man, how precious it is. We looked at this gift and rejected it. We looked at this gift and it had no value. 
this happened in college, and man, thank God it didn't happen to me. My buddy went to get engaged to this girl. Well, and they had been dating. It wasn't like they were dating for two weeks. They had been dating for a while. She got, he got on one knee and asked this girl to marry her, and in that moment of asking the girl to marry her, you know what she said to him? No, because the ring isn't precious enough. I was like, ouch. I was like, she got to go anyway, man. That's the girl, you, she got to go. But that's what we did to Christ, that Christ is offering us this gift. We look at this precious gift and we say, no, thank you. It's, it's useless to me. It's got no value to me. You, you see, this is the most precious thing that God has ever given to us, and we said no thank you to it. And yet that's what God is building his church on, the, the chosen living stone that is so precious to him. And then the last thing that we see is in where Peter is quoting the Old Testament. He said, behold, I, God, am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, a chosen and precious Whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. The, the last thing that we see that God is building his church on is a cornerstone. Now, now when we, we hear this word, we uh, see this idea, this cornerstone, but this is not one of those moments. This cornerstone wasn't high in the air. This cornerstone was at the very foundation of the church. And what is a cornerstone? When a mason lays a cornerstone, the mason is laying a true and perfect stone that every other stone will be built off of it. And what, what is true about a true cornerstone in masonry, if that stone is anything but untrue and off-plumb, then what happens to the rest of the foundation? It's off. And so what God is saying is, I've taken this thing that's precious to me, and I've laid it at the cornerstone, the very foundation of the church, that the church isn't built on you, but the church is built on my son, who is true and right and always in plumb. Like, Jesus Christ is always sinner and always good. Thank God for that. Thank God that when... God was talking through Jesus to Peter, and he said, upon this rock I will build. He wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking to Peter about what Peter just said. You are God's chosen son. And Jesus says, yes, and upon that rock I'm going to build my church. And so thank God this morning that God is building his church on those four things, a living Savior, amen. Thank God that this church is not being built, my life, your life, is not being built on something's dead. Because what happens with dead things? They decay, they rot, and they're no more. And if my life, your life, is built on this rock, this living stone that is dying, then eventually that stone will give way and the rest of my foundation will give way. If I build my life on something that's dead. But thank God, he has chosen his precious son to be the cornerstone of my life and your life and ultimately our lives as the church. And here's the other part about the cornerstone. You can't just have one stone to make a foundation. You have to have many stones to make a foundation. And so what God is saying to us is, yes, I am the chief cornerstone. I'm the one that holds it all together. I will attach myself to you. Not that you're attaching to me, but I'm going to attach myself to you. He says it in the next pa passage that now because you've attached yourself to him, now you are alive. 
You are now a living stone. And so, for you and me, we are living stones united to Christ Jesus. And it's because of his life that I have life. It's because of his life that I have life, that I'm attached to you who have life to make up the church. See, this church is way more than a building. This church is made up of God's chosen son who he's decided to build our lives upon. He's the one that to- he told us in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 that he chose you to be attached to him. You did not choose to be attached to him. He chose you. And you think about a mason. When a mason goes and picks out, out a rock, the rock is not jumping up and down and saying, choose me, choose me. No, the mason goes and he picks out the rocks that he would choose to build the foundation. That's what God has done for you and I. And so it has nothing to do with me. This church has nothing to do with me. It has everything with God the Father through Christ Jesus, his son, and therefore I have life because of the living stone. Amen? And so what does this all mean for us? If this is true, that God is building a church, then what's my part in it? And what's your part in it? Because yes, God is choosing who would come to the church and be a part of the church. But I play a part in that, and so do you. And that's what he tells us in this powerful next few verses. He says to us these things. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We see a handful of things here, four things as well. The first thing is this. We see it back in chapter 2, verse 6, verse 5. He says, you yourselves are what? Living stones. The first thing is this, that we, as the church, we are living stones because of what God has done for us. We have life because God has given us life. And so the first thing is, we show, it shows us that we have unity with Christ Jesus because we are alive and we are connected to him. The second thing says this, That not only are we alive, are we living stones, but we are what? He says, but you are what? A chosen race. Peter gets this from Deuteronomy 7. Flip over to Deuteronomy 7, chapter 6, uh, chapter 7, 6 through 9. This is what um, God is saying and speaking to Moses, to his people, his Israelites, the, the chosen nation. This is what he tells them. For you are a people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for what His treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Verse 7. And this is so key for us, this next verse. Because it's true for us, the church today. It is not because you are more numbered than any of the other people and uh, that the Lord has set His love on you and chosen you. For you are the few, fewest of all the people. What, what, Moses, what God is saying to Moses is, hey, I didn't pick you because you were the best of the best. 
It wasn't like uh, me that got chosen dead last, last when it came to kickball, softball. Like I, I, it wasn't that. It wasn't like, oh, God's looking and he's like, oh, Todd, Frank, Jerry, Patty, you're the best of the best. You're, you're the best there is, so I'm going to choose you. No, he says, no, I didn't choose you because of any of that. I chose you because I love you. That's the only reason. I didn't choose you, God is saying, because you have any value. I chose you simply because I love you which takes it all off of me and puts it all into him. God does the work because of his great love for us. And that's what he's saying to the people of Israel. I didn't choose you out of all the nations, out of all the people on the, on the planet because you were the most. He said, no, actually you were the least. You were the less likeliest to be chosen, which is true for me. If you look at my life up until salvation, it, it wouldn't have been like, oh man, that, that dude's a prize. I was a rebellious hellion, and yet God, in his great mercy and love for me, wooed me to him, and I responded to the great love that he awakened my heart to, not because of anything I did. And Jerry and I were talking about this passage this week, and we were talking about that, and he, he said this to me, man, if anything, if anything, I would never have chosen God. There's just no way. I would never choose God. I'm like, man, you, yeah, me either. I don't choose you either. No, just kidding, Jerry. And that's what God is saying to us. He has chosen us, a, a royal, a, a, a chosen race, set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people, but it was because of God's love. And in keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that God brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, verse 9. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love for those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I know, and you will know, if we are a church, if we do the last verse, if we will remember that God is God and he keeps covenant with those that what? Who love him and keep his commandments. Is that true for me? Is that true for you? So we're a living stone. We're a chosen race. And here for me is probably the, the, the sweetest one of all of them is that we are a royal priesthood. Right? He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. If we really totally understood as a church, as an individual who make up the church, what this means, it would blow our minds you got to remember back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament, the people of God, the, the chosen race, the Israelites, what they had to do? They had to come to another priest, to that priest to go on behalf for them, for God. And now what he's saying, because I chose you, you no longer need a priest. You are the priesthood of the believer. The great beauty is I do not need a priest to go to God on my behalf. I now have direct access to God every moment of the day. I do not have to wait for the moment of atonement to get my sins atoned for. I can and you can. If today I woke up and sin came into me, I can go to God in a split moment and confess to God because I am now a priest of God and so are you. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ is not made up of people who need a priest, but we are a church who are the priests of God and who ultimately have the ultimate priest, goes back to 
Jesus Christ. It's what Hebrews tells us. That, that we have a priest that can be on our behalf. That there is a God that we go to, Christ Jesus, who pleads with us, the great high priest, to the great judge, God the Father. But I don't need anyone, you don't need anyone to go to God. We, as the children of God, the church of God, have direct access to God. That, that ought to blow our minds and our hearts. And then he says this, not only are you a living stone, not only are you a chosen race, not only are, are you a royal priesthood, but what? You are a holy nation. The word holy means to be a set apart. And the word nation means that we're no longer part of the nation, that God has called us out. That we're a holy chosen nation that's been called out from this world. Here's what he tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, 9 through 20, 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you what are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, the church of God, being built on what? The foundation, the teachings of the apostles and the prophets, that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grow into a holy temple. That's us, the church. We're being built together into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in him, you are also being built together in the dwelling place of God by the Spirit. Here's what I know about these things. That we are a living stone, that we are a chosen race, that we are a royal priesthood, and, and that we are a holy nation, and that therefore God dwells among us today. God is in our midst today in this very moment amen my hope and prayer is for us that as unsettling that this past week with the election may have been we will remember this one thing i have no idea what this nation is going to look like two weeks from now two years from now four years from now i don't know if to do with the crazy comb over is going to do us any good or not I don't know that. I don't know if Donald Trump is going to do all the things that he said he's going to do or if he's just a raging, raging narcissist that knew what to say to get some votes to lead this country. I have no idea about that. But what I do know is this, and I hope as a church we do know this, that we are a holy nation. And I don't mean America. I mean this, the church, the people of God. We are a holy nation that's been called out by God and so no matter who's in Washington we still have a king that's on the throne over our nation do we believe that today because it doesn't matter if Donald Trump or, or Mickey Mouse is at the White House we have a God that it tells us in Romans chapter 13 that God is the one that puts in place the leaders and all that our responsibility to do is to pray for them so if it's Mickey Mouse, Dora the Explorer, or Donald Trump, I know for us as a church of, of Jesus Christ that our call is to pray for whoever is on that little throne because we have the great God who is on the throne reigning supreme over all things. And we are a holy nation. And God is calling us to the, be a remnant to this nation to do what the rest of this passage says. So what do we do as God's holy nation? What's our responsibility? It says this, back to chapter 2, verse 5. 
that you yourselves, like living stones, are being what? Built up into a spiritual house. We go there. So God is building us as the church. Let's fast forward to chapter uh, 2, verse 9. God's people, his own possession. Circle the word possession in your Bible. Taught briefly on this on Wednesday night. That we do not belong to ourselves, that we do not belong to America, that we do not belong to uh, this world, but we belong to Christ Jesus. We are his possession. And how do we know that we're his possession? Because of what Paul tells us in Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were what? Bought with a price. You and I were bought with a price. He tells us that again in chapter 7, that you were bought with a price. So if I'm bought with a price, I'm now in, in being possessed by someone else. But what's the great price that was paid for me? Christ Jesus. So I was bought with a price, and so were you. And so what do we do, and what do you do? What do we, the church, collectively do if we were, being, we were bought with a price? He tells us, because you were bought with a price, you are not your own possession, why are you not your own possession? He tells us that you may proclaim the excellence of him who calls you out of darkness into the marvelous light. The whole purpose of the church is simply this, that God would build his people and build his church so that we, the church, would do what? Proclaim his excellence. The whole reason that God redeemed us is so that we would worship him and that we would proclaim him. That is the essence of your salvation and my salvation and that alone. That God redeemed you, redeemed me, is redeeming the church so that we would herald his name to the four corners of the world. That's what we do with these shoe boxes. This is our way of what? Proclaiming God's excellence to kids all over the world that don't have the opportunity to be in a church to hear about his excellence this morning. It's our responsibility. And it's only our responsibility we go back and we remember that you were bought with a price. And when I begin to realize I've been bought with a price, I will want to do nothing else. You will want to do nothing else. We, the church, will want to do nothing else but what? To proclaim all of his goodness. That's what Miss Patty and Jerry did this morning. What, what did you hear them not say? They did not get up here and praise the doctors. They didn't get up here and praise the hospital. They had such a taste and see that the God is good, what we talked about last week, and they, what, they proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And we, the church, individually, get to rejoice with them, the church. You see, what Miss Patty didn't say is, Man, I'm grateful for these stained glass windows. I'm grateful for this brown carpet. I'm grateful for the lights outside, all that they did for me. No, she said, I'm grateful for what the church, you, the people of the church, and what y'all did to bless us. Because what we tasted and saw that God was good and proclaimed it back to Jerry and Patty. And so what does this mean for us? We are a community of God's people to worship God. That is the church. The church is a collective remnant of people that God chose, that God redeemed, that God set his son out for and drew us out of what? Darkness into his marvelous light. And in the moment of seeing his light, we go and we proclaim his goodness to a lost world. 
This is what John Piper says about uh, the church. And it's beautiful. It says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Those boxes are not the ultimate goal of the church. That's missions. That's not our ultimate goal. John Piper says this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. And missions exist because worship does not. You see, if you and I begin to see all that God has done and we begin to go back to what we talked about last week and we see the goodness of God and we taste and see, we will what will herald that goodness. We will worship God through his mercies and through his goodness and through his sovereignty. That is what we saw with Jerry and Patty. They did not have a mission to go out and proclaim uh, about cancer. They're, they were worshiping what God had done in them, and that's what's given them the story. Their worship of a great God. And so my hope for us that this morning is, what is the church? That's the next question you've got to answer. We started with that. We end with that. What is the church? The church is a group of made-up, redeemed people of God to proclaim His excellence to a lost world. It's not brick and mortar. Amen? Let us pray. God, the ultimate goal of the church is worship. Which means, God, individually, since I, we, the church, are made up of individuals, it has to start with me. It has to start with what you told us here. Come to Him. God, do I, am I, having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ every day? Do I wake up and do I spend time with you, Jesus? In an intimate way. And then, God, if that's true, do I, along with this body, house chapel, do we have an intimate relationship with you? God, I'm so grateful that you sent your son Jesus, the living stone, the chosen one, the precious one, the cornerstone that your church is being built on him and his truth. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you accomplished by living a perfect life on my behalf that I could not live. You sacrificed your life so that I could have life. I'm so grateful for that. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room that does not know you as their cornerstone, that they do not know you as the chosen precious one that's sent to redeem us, that God, in this moment, you through the Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself. God, I pray for the believer in here that maybe they uh, haven't attached themselves, God, to the local church, a body of believers, that God, today would be the day that 